Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this beautiful morning, and we thank You for this Lord's Day that we as Your people may gather to worship You and to honor You and to glorify You together. We thank You for the assembly of the saints. Uh, We know it to be a necessity in our lives. We know it to be honoring to You, and we pray that You would bless us as we have gathered in Your name today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, part two of our study on greed and giving. Uh, I want to do a just flyover of what we looked at last week. Um, I'm not quite sure why I didn't just go ahead and end with number eight uh, last week, but we'll, we'll tie it in today uh, and get all of them here. Uh, what we looked at last week, well, you may recall that, that we defined greed simply as a selfish desire, but a selfish desire for uh, things, whether it be material things uh, or non-material. Greed is, at its very essence, selfish desire. Uh, Of course, not an exact antonym, uh, but giving and a giving person has differing characteristics from a greedy person. And so uh, what I'm trying to do is to get the two of these topics to play off of one another. And, and I think that we looked at that last week when we began with this first topic, how to be a greedy and ungiving person. Uh, if you want to be a greedy and ungiving person, uh, well, what should you strive for? Um, of course, uh, this is irony. Uh, but number one, last week we looked at covet. Uh, On last week's outline, I put covet what others have, which is a redundancy, isn't it? I'm not sure why I put that. Uh, But to to covet uh, leads to a greedy mentality and a a, a spirit of greed. Number two, to be unsatisfied. To be unsatisfied with what God has provided us can lead to greed for that which He has not provided for us. Number three, uh, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs thirty fifteen. the leech has two daughters, give and give. Um, and so a great way to be a greedy and, and ungiving person is to be a leech, someone that just sucks on other people, uh, whether that be materially or otherwise. Number four, withhold good from others. Uh, You may recall that we looked at Proverbs 3 last week and when it is in our power to do good to someone else, we should do that uh, good. And so we should not withhold good to those to whom it is due when it is within our power to do. Number five, be stingy. Uh, Proverbs uh, 11.24 talks about giving freely, giving bountifully. Number six, Oppress the poor. Uh, interestingly enough, and we may come back to this today, I, did, I was doing a little more research on this section, and that uh, Hebrew word that's translated here, oppress, can also be translated slander. Uh, And there are different commentators that will take different positions on this. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it means to slander the poor, uh, although I did read their explanations, but it seems uh, a a better translation here to oppress the poor, uh, that is to take advantage of and to push down and to, uh, in in many ways, hurt the poor. Number seven, uh, be lazy. And then number eight which we did not get to last week, is ignore need. 
Uh, Proverbs 28, 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now, let's think about that proverb for just a second. And if I remember correctly, it, it may show up... Um, well, maybe not. I thought it showed up later in our study today. Um, but it does, in fact. Yeah, so we will, we will circle back to this proverb again. But let, let's look more closely at this. And I realize it's not in your handout, but I'm referring to Proverbs 28, 27. I'll quote it again, and then I want you to think about it with me. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Now, let's pause here for just a second. Um, again, over and over again, and we talked about this last week, we, we see that there is this consistent theme that when you give, uh, you're not sacrificing in the sense that you're having less than what you have given. And that, that is contrary to the way that we understand life to be. If you, if you ask me for a dollar, and or better yet, let's say that I know you to be in need and you need a dollar, and I give you a dollar from my pocket, uh, simple math tells us I have whatever was in my pocket minus that one dollar. Right? And so that's just logical. And yet consistently, over and over again, as we looked at last week, the Proverbs tells us that actually we get more or we don't suffer want when we give. And the idea of this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. In, in which God tells Israel that He will bless them in a number of ways. In fact, if you, if you walk through the Proverbs and look at the different ways that it specifically says that God will bless us, uh, it can be material blessings, it can be spiritual blessings, it can be emotional blessings. Uh, it can be blessings of what we might call satisfaction. In other words, when we give where there is need, uh, one of the blessings that we receive is a satisfaction that what we have done is the right thing. And, and a number of these things are covered in the Proverbs as well as in Deuteronomy as rewards, so to speak, for giving. And so the, the uh, sage, as it is, writing in Proverbs, this latter part of Proverbs, when he says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, it is not an illogical statement based on what God has revealed in His Word. We know that God in His Word has said He will be the one who provides. But what does this tell us? And we'll come to this, this second part, uh, which is the negative part. But in this first part, whoever gives to the poor will not want. What does that require of us in addition to giving? And also, I might say that there is the, a certain presumption here, which I realize this is stating the obvious, but you can't give if you don't have right? So you must have in order to, to, to give. And so that is understood, uh, implied within this. But in giving to the poor, what does it teach us about us? Mm-hmm. So it's not that suddenly if you help the poor, you're going to win the lottery. That's right. It's that it changes your perspective 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's so good. And I, I really, I think, I think that's well put, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I think sometimes, and, and certainly this is in certain um, religious movements within our own country, where we need to rescue the Proverbs from mysticism, um, where sometimes the Proverbs can be read where literally it is a quid pro quo. And, um, and so we, we, we need to be careful of that. Many times it is just, in fact, that, the perspective that is gained uh, from that. And um, it's sort of the, the, the old adage that if you're, if you're de- depressed and feeling uh, bad about yourself, go help someone else uh, because that tends to, to get your focus off of you, right? And, and in that sense, it really is a, a reward of perspective. That's good. What else does this, this do? Whoever gives to the poor will not want, in addition to what, what's already been said. Yeah. And to, and, to, and to give freely, what does that require of us? True. True. Requires sacrifice on our part. We, ha- we have to give from what we have. But what else? We give out of ourselves and then to them. Right. Yeah. 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 What's that? Oh, thank you, Jerry. I was looking right over you. Uh, yeah, you have to obey, obey the law. Well, it's a great question. Yeah. Well, you know what? We, we, we laugh now. Every, everybody's like, well, this is stump the chump uh, Sunday morning. Um, but actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up because uh, we're, we, we keep hitting on this in the Proverbs, don't we? Um, the, the, the issue of um, how do you interpret giving to those in need when you are in a civilization that has, whether you agree with them or not, has social support programs in place. And I'm not sure that I have the best answer, um, and I probably have an answer that's probably not, uh, what my opinion is, is, and to be clear, it's, it's my opinion, feel free to disagree with it, that I do think pushes back against much of the evangelical thought today because I, I hear people say, um, well, if the church was just doing what they were going to do, we wouldn't have these problems. And, and I refuse to believe that. Um, and, and, and in fact, in, in, in many ways, the, the church can get uh, tangled, and we, we see this in our own country, the church can get tangled into doing a whole bunch of things it shouldn't be doing. 
Um, it's why oftentimes when, when I get asked to serve on boards or I get asked to serve in different, different areas because they want church involvement, now I'll typically say uh, first answer is no. Uh, second answer is have you talked to any of our church members? Um, because it is good for people to be involved in things like that. But in, in essence, and this is where I'm saying my opinion comes in, is I think our social structures flow out of Calvin's Geneva, and probably didn't see that coming. But I think that the Protestant Reformation created a social framework, so the invention of the hospital, for example, in which the local government helped support certain social structures that helped all of those who lived within that society. Um, and we see that carried over into Puritan New England. You see that carried on into this day. And while there are uh, a, a large number of, of social programs that, in, in my personal political bias, I strongly disagree with, especially the way that we've handled welfare within this country, um, nevertheless, there seems to be a Judeo-Christian framework that still is not dead. In fact, I don't, I, I don't even think it's on life support. I think in many cases it's still alive and thriving within our own country because if you've ever been to a third world country that doesn't have that influence, you don't see the same societal things that we have in our own country. Now, again, that's, that's my opinion. I'm not teaching Sunday school. You ask me a question, here's what you get. Um, but, but going back to how the Proverbs looks at it, I think there are a couple of things. Number one, as I've looked at the Proverbs, I've consistently been amazed at how timely they are. Uh, to imagine that these were written thousands of years ago and they could have been written yesterday. Number two, with that being said, we always interpret Scripture, first of all, within the framework in which it was written. And the Proverbs were written within ancient uh, uh, Israel and also within an agrarian society. Uh, Israel had certain social frameworks that helped take care of people, and they did pay taxes by virtue of their tithes that helped support this framework, but a lot of it was also dictated by the law. For example, uh, how were the poor fed in an agrarian society? Test your Bible knowledge here. How were, how were the poor? That's right. That's right. So there was still work involved, but there was also the law dictated it. You didn't pay taxes into the government, and then the government did it, but rather you were to obey the law, and by virtue of obeying the law, you were feeding the poor, so to speak, by the corners of your fields and, and so forth and so on. There's not one place in Scripture where we see under any of the kings in Israel where there's not the poor. Uh, also in the New Testament, Jesus said, who will you always have with you? The poor. Um, and one of the themes that we see within the Proverbs is God does protect the poor. God defend, defends the poor. Um, God takes care of the poor by virtue of the means of us and us caring for them. And so that's how God takes care of the poor. So all of that to, to say, Jerry, is I think that there, there is an argument for uh, taxes in a civil society, even a secular civil society, in which they're uh, taking care of social programs. I think the, where the rub is, is 
What are those programs and how much do we spend on them? And again, tilting toward my political persuasion, I would say spend less, smaller government, but I know many disagree with me. So. I love it, though, that you're talking with the knife in the right hand and the fork in the... In. No, I mean, I, I like it. It gives a sense of, of we're at dinner together, and this is conversational. I didn't think it was threatening, though Greg, Greg might have, you know, put the cutlery down. I, I can uh, do more than one thing at a time, so I can talk. I, men can't, so thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Right. To a lot of the programs, it's it's just where we are. Right. But I think you have to look at the deeper intent behind the design of the program as well. Yeah. Not just how it instituted and administered. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, that I, I think again, I'm 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 not a political scientist, nor do I play one on the internet. But I think that uh, I think we would probably uh, where where is Keith Gibson when I need him? Um, yeah, I think somebody like Keith would say is is that get the government involved, and this is what happens. It's imperfect. Sometimes it's too much. Sometimes it's too little. It's never done as the best way that it could. But uh, imagine living in a civilization where you you don't have sort of this this underlying framework. And in, in that sense, it's it's positive. What what's our responsibility? Um, I think also, and now I'm going to step back into the realm I'm very comfortable in. As a, as a Bible teacher, I think that it's very important for us to remember to understand the Bible within the broader context. In other words, we will read a proverb that says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will not, will get, um, his eyes will get many a curse. Um, and we can read that statically. We can read that alone, and we can think that every single charitable opportunity we need to be pouring ourselves into, or we're not obeying the Lord, and or giving the money out on the street corner to the panhandlers and so forth and so on. And I think that is to ignore the rest of the Proverbs. Because consistently throughout the Proverbs, we're going to see that there is a heavy emphasis upon working and eating. There's a heavy emphasis upon exercising discernment and not being gullible. And, and so we have to look at these Proverbs and hear the message, but we cannot pull them out and extract them into little Bible promise booklets that cause us to interpret it wrongly because we've not understand it according to all the other Proverbs. That's right. We don't understand. But if we just loved our neighbors ourselves, all these negative things we were reading the last would take care of themselves. That's right. That's right. And that's a that's a great way. I mean that that's the simplicity of what Jesus summarizes the law, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's why the Jesus two commands summarizing ten are so beautifully put, right? Because he, he takes all the ifs, ands, or buts and just brings them down to, to that.
Uh-oh. No, I can't handle you sitting next to Jerry. This is too much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a that's a great example. Yeah. And that whole generation never got out of that. It took moving on to the next generation before that uh, before that mentality changed. That's a, that's an excellent observation. Well, where I w- w- was going just a minute ago uh, was, yeah, back on track now. No, I really do think, and I'm, I actually don't think that to Jerry's question on the social structures and, and where's the line between what we do individually, what we do as a church, and what we do as a, nature, a nation and country by virtue of taxation, I don't think that discussion's ended. Um, I think actually we're going to bring that back up because we're going to keep seeing this consistently. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm not going to let that die is because I really think for a lot of people, it makes them scratch their head, unfortunately, to the point of saying, well, then I should do nothing. And, and be, because I'm paying my taxes, that's my fair share in taking care of, of, of the poor. And um, I mean, I, I, I would like to believe that. I don't see it in Scripture. Uh, in fact, I see, I see the opposite. So we're going to come back to that. I'm not going to let it die. But where I was going just a minute ago is one of the underlying points of this is trust. And, and I th- somebody brought this up last week, if I remember correctly, is you have to trust the Lord. If you are giving to those in need and there is not the instant return on that, then you have to trust the Lord that He's the one that's going to provide for your need, provide uh, for you as as He sees fit. And so underlying uh, all of these things that we've looked at last week and then concluding today is the issue of trusting God. The second part of this proverb... True, although in the context of the Proverbs, the Proverbs is going to teach us to manage our money and to manage it wisely. And, and so we, we, we don't want to get to the point where we, we would give sacrificially to the point where now we can't provide for ourselves. Yeah. It wasn't so much a, a lack of they couldn't afford to. Yeah. They just don't yet know how to trust. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, and I think that, that underlines underlies a, a lot of the reasons why many people don't faithfully give to the church is because, well, you don't know all that I'm taking care of expense-wise, and, and in that sense it, it is an ex, a lack of trust. The second part of this Proverbs, which I really wanted to get to because I think it's so poetically beautiful, it says, He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Uh, What 
does this mean, to hide one's eyes? Yeah, isn't that a beautiful way of expressing it? The need is there. You know the need is there, but you hide your eyes from the need as if it's sort of like when we were scared as children and used to run and jump underneath the covers and pull the covers over us as if the axe murderer in our closet wasn't going to get us because the covers are a special force field, right? No, we, we, we do it because what? Out of sight, out of mind. And, and so the, the, uh, the point is, is that there is a curse is upon those who consistently over and over ignore the need of their neighbor, so to speak. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good uh, point. Uh, and well put. I, it's a, a double blessing in the sense that the... Res- <laughs> right, yeah. That's good. That's really good. All right, so on to the positive. How to be a generous and giving person. So what do the Proverbs say about our generosity? What are the positives? And again, some of these verses are going to come back up. Um, but number one is to be a generous and giving person, uh, Give which I realize is stating the obvious, but I go back to Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 that we looked at last Sunday. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Uh, To be a giving and generous person requires the, the giving and it is giving to meet a need. In the case of of Proverbs 3, uh, we don't know what the neighbor needs, do we? Uh, we don't know if the neighbor needs to borrow a cup of sugar uh, or, uh, or whatever the case is, that power tool that you know that you might not get back. Um, and, uh, but, but, I mean, I'm joking. We would, ma- we would imagine that it is a little more important than that. But the, the point is, is that we are to be attentive, but also to actively give but also implied here is that we're to give when there is need. And again, this is discernment, right? If, if, if we are to discern that there is not need, then there's not the need to give, which was a nice little play on words that I didn't intend. Uh, number two, give freely. One get, Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Well, this is what I was talking about earlier, isn't it? Uh, about this idea in the, in the Proverbs where we, we give and then we receive, and yet those who don't give, they do not receive. But I want to go back to this idea of giving freely. What does give freely mean? If, 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 if it says, as it does, one gives freely, what comes to mind? How would you explain that? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I think it does. I think it's, it's, it's put brilliantly. And I think that the, 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 the point that you're teaching your kids, but so also that we should teach our own is a, 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 mentality, a stewardship mentality and uh, a willingness to, to give no, no strings attached. Uh, if it's the Lord's and everything is the Lord's, then and we're merely stewards. Well, then we should be willing to, to, to give and to give freely. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's true, and I think also that what's implied there is uh, giving, even if you you don't agree a hundred percent with what the church is going to do with your money. I mean, you know, there is an idea where where, where you give, and you know, well, I'm not going to I'm not giving this year because I don't I don't like what's what they're what they're doing with, and I don't mean theologically. No, I know, but I mean in. <laughs> Yeah, somebody else was. Well, in a, in, a, in a democratic republic, at some point, everybody voted to, to, to yeah, once upon a time, uh, there was agreement that we, we would give this freely, although we don't look at it that way today. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody said just a minute ago, also, it's a matter of the heart. And, um, yeah. Jerry? That's exactly what I was thinking when I brought that up earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not giving freely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those don't count. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's Yeah. 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 I think that's 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So to 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 give freely is indeed uncoerced. Uh, it's from the heart, uh, but also to to give freely is is no strings attached. It's it's to to give, of course, with discernment. Um, but and and I can't remember if we're going to come to this verse or not. Um, he who lends to the Lord. Yeah, actually, hopefully we get to it. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Whoever is generous, generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Um, there is a, a twist of irony in that proverb. Uh, that's nineteen seventeen, uh, the last verse on your handout. Um, but there's a twist of irony in that because um, in the Proverbs, how does it tell that, to say that we are to lend money to, to the poor? Yeah, yeah. And, and, in, and I believe it's Deuteronomy. It's also without interest to our, to our brother. 
And so if you lend to the Lord, the Lord is the guarantor that that will be repaid, right? So it's a fascinating concept to think through in in your mind is when you're giving to those who are in need, you're lending to the Lord. He's the guarantor. Is there any greater guarantor if you're signing a document than the Lord? No, so there is a certainty that He will repay the, the, um, the debt, so to speak. And so we don't think of it as a loan, do we? We think of it as, well, this I have done with the Lord. I've done this with the Lord, this giving to those in need. And so the same concept here with one uh, gives freely. It's, it's stated differently, but it's the same type of idea. And so also, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Um, what, what's, the, what's the general idea here? That's right. No expectation. Yeah. Yeah, that that's good. But what about the the second part of this verse though? About the the one uh, another withholds what he should give. So what's the implication there? He know, he knows there's a need. He or she knows there's a need, and the need is identified, perhaps even discerned, and there is an intentionality of not giving. In both cases, we see one grows rich, one suffers want. And again, it's coming back to this idea that the Lord is the one who we trust. And so He's the one that provides for us. This is a very different mentality uh, for those of us from, from the business world. And, and when we think of it in the sense of return on investment and capital injected, invested, so forth and so on, um, this is very different type of mentality. Because in the sense, if we give, if I lend to someone, I expect that to be repaid. There is an expectation of repayment. But in the sense of of giving, as going back to what Chris said earlier, with a stewardship mentality, it's less an, an issue of expectation on our part, but more stewardship. This is how God has blessed me. This is what God has given me. And so I'm going to give. And as a result, God blesses that. All right, we need to move on. Uh, Number three, deal ethically. Proverbs 11.26, The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Well, I'm very comfortable in this wheelhouse. Um, This is just practical business. And the the point that the writer of Proverbs is making here is that to deal ethically in business is a blessing to people. And and we don't think about that, especially in in terms of I had someone say uh, one time, um, well, I don't want, I was talking with this person about a profession, talking, encouraging them what they might consider based on their personality traits, and I I brought up sales, and and, and he said, you know, well, I would never go into sales, and I said, well, why is that? He says, because I don't want to be a liar. 
And well, what was what was his his perspective? I could have said politician, so I'm at least keeping it straight there, right? Um, his perception was all salesmen are liars. Well, I would imagine this person has been lied to in a sales situation, and so they had deduced. And I said, well, actually, did you know that their uh, salespeople play a, a very important role within the economy? Uh, when you have something that needs to be, that someone else needs, you have someone that sells that, and if you do it honestly and you do it with integrity, then there's no lying at all. You're actually meeting a need, and, and this person had never considered it in that light. And so we see here within being a generous and giving person, it also involves our ethical behavior and what we do in the tangible or economic world. When we have the opportunity within a right transaction, we do that, especially to those who need. We don't hold back in terms of manipulating the market, driving prices up, whatever uh, example we might give there. And so we deal ethically. Number four, be generous. Again, I know a redundancy in terms of how to be a generous and giving person, but Proverbs 14.31, which we've looked at before, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Now, we looked at that last week, and you may recall that I struggled on the spot with that grammatically. So I did go back and look at the commentaries on the Hebrew, and the hymn there is not referring to God, but is referring to the poor man. Um, now, this is important uh, in terms of interpreting this verse. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker... What did we discuss previously? How is someone who is, is, is poor... Uh, a, a rather, how do we? Uh, how is our oppression of the poor an insult to his maker? That's right. And you may recall last week, uh, Genesis one twenty six, that we are made in God's image, every single human being. And so, by virtue of that, whether rich or poor, what we do is an insult to. Uh, our Maker who made us in His image, which makes, and it's now that I better understand the grammar, makes this come alive in the second clause. He who is generous to the needy honors Him. He honors the poor by virtue of generosity. But the first clause, and this is in, in uh, proverbial poetry, this is a chiasm, and there's a tie-in between him and the maker. Even though it's referring to the poor man, it has told us that we honor our ma the poor man's maker when we're generous to him, and we honor the poor man when we meet the needs that he has. Therefore, who are we honoring in our generosity? God. And so it's just a beautifully structured proverb to remind us that, as we have looked at before, is that we are the means by which God provides for His creatures many times, and in this case, the, the poor. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. How does, and this is, this, this we could spend the next 30 minutes on this, but how does the desire, not, not the lack of desire, 
which is fascinating. Think about this. How does the desire of a sluggard kill him? So a sluggard is what? A A lazy person. Right. So how does the desire of a sluggard kill him? Yeah. And if you desire to just be a lazy person, you're just going to sit around until you, you know, you either get some. I, I don't know. You're just gonna well, if, you, if I were a lazy person, what would be some of the things that I would desire? Everybody take care of you. Okay. I want you to take care of me. I want good food. I want a nice place to live. I want a good bed and a good recliner. I want to be comfortable. Right? This is sounding pretty good. Right? I, I want all of these things. That's what I desire. How does that desire kill me if I'm, if I'm a sluggard? Yeah. And, then, and, and, then, and the desire's never met, isn't it? It's like I, I, I said last uh, week, I think it was, when, when the panhandler came up to me and I'd come out of, of, of working out and, and was getting ready to get in my car and, and he says, hey, could you... Did I tell this story last week? No. Yeah. But he asked me for breakfast and he said, the red box over here is empty. And I wanted to say, well, if you had filled up the red box last night, it wouldn't be empty. Yeah. And, and so that, that desire is there. We want pleasurable things, but the lack of work, notice the second clause, but he refuses to work, or as it's put here, his hands refuse to labor. He's got all of this that he wants, and he's not willing to work for any of it. And so it, in this sense, it's killing him and that there's no provision for his need. All day long... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so note, note that we're going to have to stop here, but note, note, let's get through the second clause. All day long, he craves and craves. So there's poetic repetition to make the point of emphasis, right? That's all he does. A sluggard only desires. He only craves, but the righteous person gives and does not hold back. And, and where I wanted to get with that, in contrast, note here that it doesn't set contrast the sluggard with the industrious person, does it? Who, who, who is here in this chiasm? Who is uh, compared to the sluggard? The righteous. What's the implication there? Well, true, and in, in, included in righteousness is industry. It is not only a willingness to work, but also a, a working. That is part of Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. I don't think I printed it on your handout. I think I said see also uh, under B4B. Yeah. You bet. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Note in contrast, what does the sluggard do? He craves, he craves. What does the righteous person do? It's a, a beautiful contrast. He gives. I mean, we could say with 
poetic repetition. He gives and gives. We see here that the, the poet doesn't do that, but instead says what? Doesn't hold back. There's no limit to the righteous person's giving, while the sluggard, there's no limit to his craving to his desires. And so, to be a generous and giving person, we are to be generous. We're going to have to stop there. Um, and I'm really not sure how I'm going to work this next week. But we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And uh, we'll, we'll look at the rest of your, your handout next week and, and maybe more. So, um, I'm, I appreciate all the wonderful uh, comments about uh, government and social benefits. If you have any more questions, I want you to talk to Jerry after the class. <laughs> Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, that Your Word is not some dusty tome set on a shelf with archaic meanings and uh, teachings, but as we look to Your Word, specifically the, the Proverbs, we see just how rich and relevant it is. It is as relevant today as it was when, it was when these Proverbs were written. It is as relevant to our lives as it was to the first students. And so we pray that we would take this word in and that we would eat it, so to speak, that it, we, it would nourish our wisdom, nourish our discernment, that we would indeed be a people of wisdom. As James teaches us, so we pray, give us wisdom, O God. And bless us now as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.